0: Hello and welcome to the third episode of What the Kale podcast. I'm your host, Devin Stone. On today's episode, I will be interviewing a registered pharmacist, Nicole Jolin. And we'll be going into all topics on pain management, the way the pain management world is today, and really just emphasizing how bad the opioid epidemic really is in the United States and across the world. Before getting started, I just want to thank our show sponsor, The Zest Company. This actually is a company that I'm part of, and it's a cookbook that I've been curating with a fellow naturopathic medical student with me. We are creating something that's supposed to be educational, fun, and show you many recipes and ultimately teach you the foundations of food. Throughout this, we have many infographics, recipes, and all types of information that should help empower you to eat better and understand that eating well is, should be fun as well. So, now I just want to thank our guest on today's show, Nicole Jolin.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me on today. I'm very excited about this and uh, chatting with people. So um, I am a pharmacist. I've been a pharmacist for over 26 years now, and I work predominantly hospital pharmacy, which is a little bit different focus than uh, retail. So it's more clinical, and we we actually have access to chart records because we're dealing with the patients in the hospital um, and their acute situations, health concerns. And I'm also a retired ballerina. So I danced for over 28 years and I taught ballet for over 30 years. And so I myself uh, have a lot of damage to my body from the years of ballet. And so I myself live with chronic pain. And in my own journey going through the healthcare system as a healthcare provider, um, I just learned that the, the education was very lacking from doctor to patient and everybody in between that helps with chronic pain management. And I don't like to really use the word management. I prefer the, to use the word mastery because I think it can be mastered. And so I I felt like I have this calling to, to help educate people on options that are natural solutions because in my own personal journey, I just, I found that We needed more help and support in this area. And doctors just don't have time with their their caseloads to be able to do this level of education. And so that's where I come in.
0: Cool. Well, thank you so much for outlining that. And this is, I mean, one of the foundations why I wanted to have this conversation with you today is, I mean, we see pain, I mean, at an all-time high today with, I mean, inflammation, inflammatory diseases, and just a elderly population that's everly really growing today. Um, and it's just, I mean, part of it. I mean, we are mechanical beings and over time, I mean, our joints wear down. We know that. Um, but really kind of the way it is being managed, just like what you're saying, it's not to the best effect possible. Um, I mean, this is one of the areas that I feel is such a kind of symptom relieving prescription (laughs) that is being used today versus really getting at root cause and focusing on how we could actually correct pain from structural issues to um, just getting a person's body moving better. And um, last year I did a whole segment on my stories just kind of about the opioid crisis that is happening here in the United States, which I know so many people probably have heard. We have a huge opioid epidemic going on, but the reality of this, I mean, is vast. Um, I mean, just looking at some of the statistics here, 2019, there's 153 million prescriptions of opioids dispensed. And out of every 100 people, that's about 46.7 people. So um, it's about half, almost half the people are almost getting prescriptions or that amount of prescriptions are given out in the United States. And then when we look at just drug overdose today. Um, I mean, there's 64,000 drug overdoses in 2016, and two-thirds of these are linked to opioids. So, I mean, these are just some of the statistics. If you dive into some of these on the CDC website or um, other places, I mean, they'll just start blowing your mind, I mean, just how overused these are, um, and really mostly just for the effect of just masking pain symptoms, but not really correcting what is going on with the patient. So um just want to kind of guess start. I mean, we should just define really what is pain. Would you be able to highlight that for our people?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So pain, as defined by the International Association for the Study of Pain, it is an unpleasant sensory and this is really important, and emotional experience associated with the actual potential potential tissue damage or described in terms of such damage. So pain is a normal, healthy response that is a defense mechanism. It tells you to stop doing what you are doing as it may, again, the optimal word may cause harm or damage. And it can be further divided into additional categories, such as, now these are some technical terms. So no susceptive pain, which is pain from an injury or a stimulus. It's in that moment when you hurt yourself, that's what that is. A neuropathic pain is pain that comes from, for example, a compressed nerve cell. Um, Psychogenic pain is pain from mental or emotional or behavioral factors. Acute pain is usually due to an injury, and it usually heals and resolves completely after about three months. Uh, Pain becomes chronic if still feeling pain after more than three months and usually encompasses the above uh, factors: the nociceptive, neuropathic, and psychogenic pain components.
0: Great, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I just love really looking into what you stated. That I mean, pain is here to help us. I mean, it, and so many people don't want pain, don't think about pain, but just defining it, it as it is a defense mechanism, and the fact that it's there to show us something is wrong. It's, I mean, uh, honestly, amazing that our bodies give us this signal and the ability to know, hey, like look at this, something's going on here. We need to correct it. And that just goes back to what we were talking about earlier, just shutting off this signal. We're not actually focusing on what our body is trying to tell us and outline because um, we'll just be masking this symptom and never really diving deeper into it. So, um, and I know you were kind of stating a little bit, you were a ballerina in the past. Um, you did kind of have your own journey into obviously became a pharmacist, but I'm really focusing heavily in the pain management world today. Um, if you could maybe just let us know a little bit more about your own journey, because I think so many people in our healthcare space, I mean, oftentimes they've either did it for themselves or someone they know and really kind of builds their journey in such a deeper level. So if you would just please be able to go over a little bit more if you could with us.
1: I'd love to. So, like I said before, I, I live with chronic pain uh due to 28 years of ballet. And ballet is not a natural thing to do <laughs> to your body. Um, and, and in my own personal journey as a healthcare professional, going through our healthcare system, I was actually treated very poorly by a pain management doctor. And I just I realized that the education about chronic pain was severely lacking on all levels, from the doctor all the way to the patient. And modern day medicine therapies were limiting for me as I either did not tolerate side effects of medications, steroid injections gave me minimal uh, short-term relief. And I couldn't go to work as a pharmacist taking any kind of opioid medications or any medications that would alter me in any way. So I needed to take a different approach to mastering my chronic pain and uh, take more of a root cause functional medicine approach So my pain issues are structural in nature. I personally have 10 compressed degenerating vertebra, nine bulging discs, bridging bone spurs and scoliosis. And this is all from the T5 to the L2 level, which is actually very rare because it's all in the thoracic spine, which is protected by your rib cage. So you typically don't have the kind of range of motion that you would have in the cervical or lumbar regions of your spine where you would get more wear and tear. And I have nerve compression at the t 78 level, and, and I actually have a spinal cord stimulator in my spine to control that nerve pain because it's inoperable. Um, I learned that for me, it takes multiple natural solutions to keep my pain in check. So I use routine uh, practices like chiropractic care, massage therapy, fascia release, exercise, nutrition, sleep, physical therapy if I feel like I need it. And I found that just one therapy alone isn't enough. And you kind of have to attack chronic pain from multiple directions in order to have success. And I also learned how to perceive pain differently and stop the trauma response that made me fear moving. And so chronic pain can, can, can create a very automatic pain response inside your brain. It can become very deeply tied to your negative emotions and past memories. And recognizing and breaking this automatic response is one of the keys to living pain-free. So you change your perception. Pain is, like I said, a normal sensation. It's a healthy defense mechanism. So if I twist wrong and I go, ouch, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, I know I shouldn't do that. And I did it anyway. Of course, it's going to hurt, but I stopped doing it. So I'm okay. Right. You stopped doing the movement or the thing that was causing you pain. So in essence, you kind of have to learn to retrain your body to move in a way that doesn't hurt.
0: Great. And thank you so much for giving us a little bit about your story. I mean, I think so many people could probably connect with that and I mean, have similar journeys and looking for alternatives and Um, that's i mean exactly why we're doing this recording today to i mean show people that there are other ways of really working on this and i love the fact that you also just stated i mean just how much correction of the actual structures you are working on in your body um for us in the naturopathic medical world, I mean, the way we're trained, um, we do get fully trained in physical medicine. So chiropractic, um, soft, tissue manipula- or soft tissue work, um, also got trained in like craniosacral therapy and all these modalities of actually putting the structures back into place and releasing fascia. I mean, I've seen just so much great work happen to people. They walk into the office and walk out feeling dramatically different. And that's because we are putting their body back. Unfortunately, it does take a little more time. It is a lot more hands-on to do it this way Um, but we are correcting structure and oftentimes that's the root cause of some of these uh, pain signals that we're seeing so um, however like we do know i mean unfortunately with the average doctor's appointment today being 16 and a half minutes in length this makes it very hard to accomplish this in the conventional setting not saying that doctors don't want to do this because i firmly believe anyone that goes into the medical space, we're all here to help people. But unfortunately, that is the time that's allotted on average here in the United States. And it oftentimes does rely then more on a prescription-based model, which then the opioids oftentimes come into place. And people then have to keep working with these different medications for long-term to keep shutting off these signals of pain. But when this happens, I mean, what really are the long-term effects of using opioids on the body?
1: Oh, another excellent question. (laughs) So uh, kind of going to the mechanics of how these medications work inside the body. So initially when opioids are taken and if if they're being taken at higher doses than what is therapeutically necessary, opioids actually produce a very strong sense of euphoria. So the brain is flooded with these happy hormones like dopamine and serotonin. And over a prolonged period of time, the body begins producing more receptors for the opioids to interact with. These are called the mu receptors. So these are the ones that help to block the pain signal. And this uh, leads to tolerance and increased need for more opioids because you have more receptors that are being created. And So this causes an increase in usage to reach the desired effect, putting a person at extreme risk for overdose or death. Your body will eventually deplete the stores of these happy hormones, the dopamine and serotonin, which can lead then to depression, insomnia, paranoia, confusion, hallucination, mood swings, and memory loss. And long-term use of opioids can trigger structural and functional changes inside the brain that cause users to lose much of their abu- ability to cope with pain naturally without the use of pain medications. So in other words, long-term opioid use has been found to cause significantly decreased pain tolerance. Additionally, users begin to experience pain more intensely since they don't constant or consistently have high levels of the opioid painkillers in their systems. So you have all of these these structural changes, you have all the, this hormone imbalance that's happening inside your brain that kinda cause all of these long-term side effects. And so to summarize, your body produces more mu receptors increasing your need for opioids. Your body is depleted of the happy hormones like dopamine and serotonin and your brain structure and function changes. So your ability to cope with pain is less making you hurt more.
0: Wow. I think that's just so powerful people for people to understand, even, I mean, just long-term it's taking away and even adding more pain. I think that's something people don't realize oftentimes when they start this whole program. And unfortunately, I don't think they fully are that as well, even when they start their medication management um, for pain by starting an opioid, not realizing long-term wise, They're going to have to take more. That's going to actually cause more pain down the road. And often like what we were saying, they probably never even went to correcting the structure to begin with. So now it's just building a way bigger problem on a problem that was already there to begin with.
1: Exactly. And it's just, these opioids do have a purpose. They have a time and place and it's more Mm -hmm. for short-term acute injury. Maybe you just had a, a recent surgery, that sort of thing. And I, I get, I get it what it's like. Cause I've been there. I've been that person that hurts so bad. You don't know what you're going to do. You have to do something. And that's it. It makes sense in the moment to go this route, but because we've done the research now over the last 10, 15, 20 years, we really understand what's happening inside the body now. And it really is not a good long-term choice.
0: Definitely. And I'm so glad you brought that up because, I mean, that's one of the major aspects of the show, why I'm also talking with pharmacists, medical doctors, everyone in this field, because medicine is such a vast field. There's a time and place for everything, I truly believe. And just like what you said, I mean, for myself, if I broke my arm for the day, I'm Most likely would get on an opioid at that time because I don't want to be in pain or go into shock or have these more serious complications at that time. And it's beautiful to be able to have these type of interventions um, to help in this type of setting. So um, I think it really just takes like what you said to understand if it is an acute condition or where the patient's at, exactly where their pain load is at that given moment but then still looking at what is the long-term solution for someone to um, help them truly get out of pain and heal their bodies. So, um, I definitely just, yeah, always want to stress on that. And so thank you so much for bringing that up because I mean, I truly do believe as well, there is definitely, uh, amazing use with pharmaceuticals in the world there. They have a amazing work that we do with them. So, um, the next piece that I just want to kind of highlight then, I mean, we kind of went over just what happens with opioids long-term wise. And um, we are knowing now today more than ever, unfortunately, one of the major aspects is they are very addictive, oftentimes why people are overdosing that on them, like what we spoke about earlier. Um, but could you maybe just talk a little bit about the addiction profile and just how addictive opioids really are?
1: Yes. So unfortunately, there's no real straightforward answer to this like a number of how, or percentage of how addicted they are. Addiction occurs over time and typically with inappropriate use. And addiction is not the same thing as tolerance, but tolerance can lead to addiction. And again, this goes, like we talked earlier about the long-term use and what it does to the different receptors and the hormones in your body. And addiction involves typically behaviors like drug-seeking behaviors. And whether a person has an addiction or tolerance, they can still go through withdrawal if the medication is abruptly stopped. And this is where it can be very dangerous and life-threatening.
0: Definitely. yeah. Thank you for putting that out there as well, because obviously we're talking about opioids and the crisis that's happening. And, I mean, please don't take away from this show just, I mean okay, this is not working. This is not the best thing, but talk with your doctor, talk with your pharmacist, set up a plan. If it is something you're looking at working away from, because it does have to be done in the right way as well. Um, So that kind of takes us into our next question as well. Um, I mean, you are working obviously with patients on opioids, other medications. I mean, we see most people do take a variety of medications today. How do you, as a pharmacist, typically try to manage a patient's prescription plan?
1: Oh, that's that's something I literally do every single day in my job, and I I, I sit in an office next to the doctor every single day, uh, and we go through every patient chart in the hospital, so every patient that's been admitted, and I do what's called a drug utilization review. So I look at every single medication they're on, and I look for appropriateness. And so the doctor is trained to do the uh, diagnosing. So they go through a whole set of you know, skills where they're looking at labs, they're looking at data, and they come up with a diagnosis, and then they prescribe medications that are typically recommended for that diagnosis. My job as the pharmacist is to look at appropriateness of the dosing. So I look at liver function, I look at kidney function, I look at drug interactions, I look at everything else that could be that could have potential problems for the patient if it's not dosed correctly. So that's what I do. And in general, the goal is always less is better. And so we try to optimize patients' medications as much as possible while in the hospital setting. Because here we can, we can do immediate testing. We can look at lab results. We can track progress and document and trend and watch and see how the patient's responding in a very controlled environment. Uh, but it can be challenging at times when you have multiple disease states to consider. So you you might have congestive heart failure, you might have COPD or diabetes um, and patients may require multiple medications. And the more you take, the more risk for drug-drug interactions, compliance issues, side effects can be experienced. And some patients, they, they come into the hospital possibly due to the medications that they're taking. And I've seen some, especially elderly people coming in with 30 or more different medications that they take. And so they get confused. They don't, they might have forgotten to take a medication. Um, it, they, And then there's compliance issues. And I mean, that, that, that ends up being why they're there. So we really try to go through and maybe minimize as much as possible. Do they really need to be on this particular medication? Is there something better? Is there a combination product? Is there something else that we can do to make it easier for this person and have less consequences in the long run?
0: Definitely. Thank you. And I think, I mean, just utilizing that as a pharmacist is, I mean, so powerful today and so needed. Um, I appreciate you for doing that type of work with everyone there. So, um, I, yeah. And at this point, I think hopefully we outlined, I mean, a pretty good picture for everyone of just kind of what is happening in the pain management field today, understanding, I mean, what this opioid crisis that we hear about all the time really is about. But now I kind of want to start talking about, I mean, what are some of the other modalities that, I mean, really can be utilized to help with management of pain, understanding ways you could kind of work on your body from a structural level, or even from connective tissue level. Um, so that will kind of start diving into here just to give some people some Thoughts of maybe some other avenues to start looking into today. So let's just kind of start by talking about connective tissue and how it supports the body, how it works. Like, what is this? Um, We can maybe kind of just start talking about connective tissue and your ideas and work behind that.
1: Oh, I'm fascinated by this. So the fascia is the connective tissue system within the body. And typically, when people think about connected tissue, they think about tendons and ligaments. Yes, that's part of it, but the fascia is literally what connects everything inside your body. It's this whole organ system that is just now being discovered, studied, and understood. The fascia is directly connected to chronic pain. Fascia is a completely enclosed system that connects everything from skin to bone, left to right, top to bottom, inside and out. It surrounds everything from bones, tendons, ligaments, muscles, muscle bundles, all the way down to the muscle fiber. It surrounds organs, blood vessels, and nerve cells. That's really important to understand. The fascia has its own nervous system. We used to think that the brain sent signals to the muscles telling the muscles to contract, and that is what initiated movement. But we now know the brain sends the nerve signal to the nerve, the nerves inside the fascia. The fascia moves, and that is what triggers the muscle to contract. The fascia is a water, has a water-like fluid called hyaluronin that flows through it like a river. It carries hydration and nutrients throughout the body. The fascia can become damaged or dehydrated, causing it to form a sticky glue-like glob. Stopping the flow of the hyaluronin, forming a dam, if you will, that causes dehydration downstream. This is called an adhesion or scar tissue. When this damage or dehydration occurs, the fascia constricts and compresses all the tissues, including the nerve cells that it surrounds, causing you pain. There is no imaging that can be done to see this there is no medication you can take that will fix this. You have to manually remove the adhesion using tools and techniques to break it apart so the hyaluronin can flow again.
0: Wow. Yeah. Just thank you for highlighting that. I think, I mean, something I see all the time, people could pinpoint pain, pinpoint um, areas that are triggering pain, but like you said, on imaging or other aspects, if we're looking at it from a kind of diagnosis standpoint from there, oftentimes we can't see what's really happening. And that I also think causes a lot of confusion within um, the diagnostic world and understanding how to manage pain, because sometimes if we doctors if we can't see exactly what's going on we sometimes don't think it's even related to that area however i um, just kind of working with the fascia like you're talking about releasing it this is a huge reason i love craniosacral therapy that i've been trained in so much it does work on the fascial system all the way to the working with the cerebrospinal fluid that's um circulating within the spinal cord and brain um, and just seeing how all of this is connected and releasing the fascia, like we're talking about, I mean, I've seen so much amazing work happen with people and just relieving pain. And it's such a gentle technique in that form, but there are so many other types of alternatives as well to help with fascial release and um, pain management on this level. So what are some of the ones you like best?
1: Um, so I have several different things I like, i like to do. And, uh, Different techniques. I do a technique called melt method, um, and that's something that you can Google. And it, it's a philosophy of using tools um, that are soft and squishy that you can use to kind of target and pinpoint areas to get your fascia moving again. And because the fascia is completely enclosed and connected system, you could simply do a hand release technique, which will, which will carry up your arms into your shoulders, neck, uh, upper back, and head. Uh, you can release the fascia in your feet and it's gonna carry up your legs, clear up into your pelvis and your low back. And then there's like foam rollers, there's uh, guasha tools. Um, there's a ball that I like to use. It's actually called a pinky ball just like it sounds, and you can get them on Amazon. And it's just a very high bounce, bouncy ball. Um, it's soft, it has some give to it, but it's also firm ball. And so it's good for doing some deep tissue adhesion type work. But the thing about working the fascia is it has to be done in a very gentle manner and it, you don't wanna push so hard, you're causing pain. And so one of the things that I like to do is I cut take this pinky ball and I cut it in half cause it's solid all the way through. And then I glue it to a very thin, you know, like quarter eighth inch piece of plywood. And it's the perfect distance um, between the two balls that you can lay on it. And it's not so thick and deep that you're applying too much pressure. So you can actually control that pressure, basically cuts it in half, that depth. And you can work to release the fashion targeted areas without causing pain. Um, and so there are, different modalities, professionals that are trained to release fascia. So there's massage therapists, there's physical therapists, there's chiropractors, myofascial release experts, adhesion removal experts. Um, But it's not necessarily realistic to go every day to see one of these professionals to have your fascia worked. And so I use techniques that I can do at home in between my appointments because I think it's important to work the fascia daily. Uh, Once you get the release, you need to maintain it. And you can do it in in as little as 10 minutes a day and you can target areas. Uh, The adhesions can actually come back if you're prone to it, if you're not diligent about working them. And so, um, yeah, I, I just I use the melt method tools all the time. I use a soft foam roller. Uh, versus the hard knobby ones. The soft one is really important. Um, has to be kind of bendy. You have to be able to bend it and manipulate it. And the pinky balls, um, the gua sha scraping tools, cupping is also another technique I like to use. Um, and like I said before, the fascia fascia work, it needs a gentle touch, touch. Because if you're pressing so hard that you're causing pain, it's sending that pain signal to your brain. And then it actually creates a stress response inside your brain and it actually will trigger an inflammatory response through this whole very automatic system, which is then going to defeat your purpose of what you're trying to do. So that's one of the biggest keys with fascia work is to be so gentle that you don't cause pain. And um, so if you're feeling pain, you just back off on the pressure Is one of the easiest Tricks that I can suggest for you.
0: Definitely. And just like we've kind of gone through so far, I just want to really highlight a lot of the topics we went over so far that there are so many different modalities of helping with pain. Like what we said, working on the fascia, working with a chiropractor to get the bones back in alignment, working with massage therapy, doing some of these at-home practices, and even at times utilizing pharmacological management when pain is at an all-time high and needed. Um, However, It does seem like a lot of these worlds are a little bit dissociated today. Um, How do you see these two worlds really being integrated together in the best manner to give a patient that full spectrum of health management?
1: My hope is that there is more of a root cause approach to identifying why you have pain to begin with. And instead of just prescribing medications or undergoing procedures that just cover up symptoms and that are short-lived, I would like to see, for example, insurance companies offering more coverage for natural solutions like chiropractic care, reflexology, massage therapy, acupuncture, myofascial release. I would like to see better education and understanding about the fascia from the prescriber all the way down to the patient. And I would like to see more of a collaborative effect from all medical professionals to serve their patients and get them on a path to get them on a successful path to living pain-free. I believe the fascia is the missing link for millions of people. And starting with releasing the fascia first will set you up for success in all other areas. It's difficult, for example, to be successful at physical therapy if the fascia is constricting the muscles and the movement is causing you pain.
0: Exactly. I think that's, I mean, just so powerful to think about is just how all of these worlds could be put together in the best aspect. And we really do need to push for this to be more a part of the insurance model and be allowed for patients to have access to this because um, like we were kind of talking about, and I hope everyone's really understanding, um, there are so many ways to approach pain and to really correct your body and to live a more pain-free lifestyle and really addressing the root cause. Um, so last, I just want to really kind of just dive into, obviously, we are kind of talking about the absolute best outcome today, the way we'd like to see the world of pain management go Um, But where do you see the world of pain management in the future being?
1: Oh, well, there's many, many things I would love to see. So I would love to see there be earlier intervention and education. Acute injuries or surgeries can be effectively be managed by incorporating fascial work early on, avoiding a chronic pain situation. I would love to see fewer prescriptions and procedures being done that are short-lived and cover up symptoms. I would love to see insurance companies pay for natural solutions before prescriptions and procedures. I would love to see doctors understand the fascia better and how it's connected to chronic pain. I would love to see higher successful outcomes for people achieving a pain-free life. This, I think, will take everyone working in the chronic pain world to come together and make this happen.
0: Exactly. I know that's what we're all pushing for and exactly why I wanted to bring you on the show today, just for people to understand exactly what is going on and what solutions really are out there. It really takes, I mean, education and knowledge of all of this and even going to your doctor, hopefully one day, hey, I heard this alternative instead of um, staying on this medication and having that conversation, because now you are empowered with this type of information that we're trying to transcend to everyone. And that's why um, I love these platforms and exactly why I wanted to start a podcast because yes, on Instagram, I'm able to put some short snippets of stuff, but really wanted people to have the ability to have a more in-depth conversation um, and listen to, I mean, experts just like yourself in this field to um, understand these different modalities, understand what is truly happening to their body, understanding what maybe the long-term consequences and outcomes could be if they are maybe staying in the same course that they're currently in. So um, I just want to say thank you so much for, I mean, everything that we've talked about so far. I, I mean, I know with pain being such a chronic issue today and people looking for alternatives, but really wanting to know what is the best alternative and stuff that works, stuff that doesn't work. Um, I really think this, everything we spoke about was, I mean, amazing today. So thank you for all of your words of wisdom here.
1: Thank you so much. I've enjoyed coming on and and chatting with you about all this. I think it's really important. Uh, Like, like you said, people understand there are alternatives, there are options and, You know, I'm I'm here to help. I I want to help. I I figured a bunch of stuff out in my own journey, and one of the biggest things I learned was that there is a definite order that things need to go in to progress. You know, getting the functionality of your body, and then there's what's going on inside your body, how to heal it. You know, with healthy diet and sleep, and and then what's going on inside your brain and how you perceive pain and how to change a traumatized brain and uh, emotionally, uh, how to break the cycle. And so these, these are all things that I try to offer people tidbits of education and get people on the right path.
0: Exactly. And I'm sure uh, many people are probably could relate to exactly what we're talking about or know someone in their life that most likely is in pain. Um, but yeah, if anyone has any more questions or also would like to contact Nicole directly, um, if you could let them know, like, where's the best place to find you, if they wanted to contact you, get some more information. Um, I'll also put in the show notes afterwards, but, um, allow you for the people just listening in to hear as well.
1: Well, I'm pretty easy to find. I at I have a website, www.nicolejolin So it's N I C O L E J-O-L-I-N.com. And if you are in on Instagram or Facebook, my handle is the same. It's at Nicole Jolin R X, all one word. And the RX is the abbreviation for pharmacist. And uh, I also my email uh, is E-O-R-X, and that kind of stands for essential oil because I use essential oils in my um my own personal pain. Um, management plan. And so e-o-r-x at nicolejolen.com.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you so much and hope anyone uh, listening does reach out and we'll be just wrapping it up here today. So thanks once again for coming on the show.
1: Thank you so much.